everyone. Welcome to this episode of Pensa Politics, Mr. Watson. I am indeed your host, Christian Watson. And today with me, I have a, someone who means a lot to me, a lot to the Liberty Movement, Mr. Larry Reed, also formerly known as Lawrence Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, former president of the Mackinac Institute, prolific writer, speaker, and all around one of the most, uh, I think, one of the most prescient, so to speak, in the, in the, uh, in the tradition of Bastia, Academics for Liberty. And so we, we, I brought him on to talk to me talk about, about a topic that is very uh, important, I think. Jesus Christ, when you hear that word, when you hear that phrase, when you see that name, what do you think? Do you think of a bunch of devotees praying in a fetal position to someone who they cannot necessarily see? Or do you see someone who represents an immaculate uh, conception of mercy, justice, and, and all-around forgiveness? Well, for a lot of people, those two scenarios don't even factor into their calculus. For a lot of folks, actually, many see Jesus Christ perhaps as immaculate, but immaculate in a sense that confines and protects their political beliefs from opposition. And the, in the instance of Mr. Reed's topic, is Jesus Socialist? Many people on the far left have tried to claim Jesus Christ to make their political ideology sort of encased in, in a Teflon shield in which no one can critique it without, of course, critiquing the creator of the universe if you are an inherent of Christianity. And so, Mr. Reed, thank you so much for being here. I, your book is amazing. The Prager University video, which got 1.3 million views last time I checked, was equally amazing. But before we get into any of that, tell me, what do you think about what I just said? Do you think that a lot of people do indeed use Jesus Christ to encase their political ideology in an inviolable shield that protects them almost indefinitely from criticism? Well, first of all, thank you very much, uh, Christian, for having me. I appreciate it and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Yes, I think a lot of people do. Uh, certainly socialists who claim that Jesus would have been one of them, I think are uh, superimposing their own political agendas onto Jesus, onto the New Testament. And that if they actually read and read carefully what Jesus had to say, uh, there's no way that you can say uh, with any uh, coherence and any uh, uh, wisdom that Jesus was sympathizing uh, with the ethics of socialism or the economics of socialism in any sense. And that's what I discuss in detail in uh, my new book. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just seems to me that there's a sort of battle in the ideas realm here. You mentioned this because capitalism is a conflated in the modern sense and the Mar Marxian sense as well, but it's bleeded into the modern sense with greed, with avarice, with all kind of vices that we aspire to get away from, which Christ, as you mentioned, himself condemned. And since capitalism is conflated with those things, people will juxtapose those vices with Christ's words twist them, and then apply them to a modern-day political context and to create some sort of conceptual guillotine that chops off not only the head, but the philosophical viability of their opponents to even speak. And so, yeah. yeah. They do that quite often. Uh, now, in my case, I don't uh, use the term socialist or the term capitalist uh, to describe Jesus. Uh, and that's simply because those terms came into existence uh, 1,800 years after his uh, crucifixion. And today, they conjure up all kinds of uh, uh, impressions and many misimpressions. And so if you say, well, Jesus was a socialist or Jesus was a capitalist, people will rush to conclusions without uh, actually going to the original source, which is Jesus himself. 
Um, my bottom line is that um, although I wouldn't use either term to describe him, I'm uh, very uh, eager to impress upon people the fact that there's nothing about socialism that Jesus would endorse. And the ethics of capitalism uh, come in for some pretty strong praise from Jesus time and time again. Ethics, uh, by that I mean the uh, uh, importance of being uh, uh, an honest exchanger of, uh, of goods in the marketplace, of owning, possessing, accumulating private property, the price system, the profit motive. Uh, these are things that on multiple occasions uh, Jesus expressly defends. Absolutely, he does. He does, which is why I'm confused. With, so, well, not confused, I'm just dismayed that a lot of people choose to use this example as some sort of socialistic thing. But let's, um, let's, let's put this over into like more of a, less of a left-wing political context, because Christ, as you mentioned, is indeed claimed by a lot of people on all sides of the political aisle. And it's quite, it's quite a concerning phenomenon. For yeah. example, if one person were to hold a position, um, the position that I personally disagree with, that abortion is okay, one would say, okay, you're rebelling against God. If another person holds that position that abortion is not okay, then they, they, they'd be saying that they, they, you're for God or whatever. And so it seems to me that the left has, has expressly used Christ as a sort of mechanism for their political um, political advancement, so, so you can say. But also, there are folks on all, all sides of the aisle that also like to use Christ for political advancement. So what what advice do you have for people that have an urge to do that, to Christians that have an urge to do that, who may be motivated out of genuine, you know, genuine, uh, genuine desire to serve Christ, but also in the same time exist in a political context. What do you say to Christians who have that kind of, kind of dual, dual urge? I would actually encourage everybody, regardless of your political persuasion, to put that aside for a moment and read what Jesus actually has to say, learn the context in which he said it, and then, uh, and then come to an intelligent conclusion. I, I am uh, repeatedly dismayed when I'm talking to people who think that Jesus was a socialist, so they'll say that. Uh, and then you probe a little bit, and most of the time they haven't read uh, the Bible at all. They'll bring up things like, well, what about uh, the loaves and the fishes when 5,000 people showed up very hungry uh, and Jesus fed them? Isn't that socialistic? And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> I mean, Chick-fil-A would feed them too, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my, no, you're right. <laughs> they do too. What, yeah, and what Jesus uh, said on that occasion was he, he turned to Philip, his, uh, one of his disciples, and said, how do you suppose we uh, get the food that we need to feed the 5,000? Uh, or how, how can we buy it, is the way he put it. A very capitalist question, actually. And uh, the Bible goes on to say in the very next sentence that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was just testing Philip. Well, then he did what he planned to do, which was um, uh, to magnify the uh, five loaves of bread and the two fish they had into enough to feed everybody. He used his own unique power to increase wealth, not to divide the pie differently. He didn't tell his disciples, why don't you go find a neighborhood of rich people at a, or maybe a grocery store and a bank and uh, raid those places and bring the loot here so we can divvy it up to the people in need. Uh, that would have been the socialist uh, response, but of course he didn't do that. Right, exactly, exactly. And the fact that he used his own creative genius to produce this value to people was actually quite capitalistic, as you mentioned. It's quite yeah, capitalistic. There's no place in the New Testament, whatever, where Jesus advocates the political, coercive, compulsory redistribution of wealth. He's even confronted uh, by a man 
in the 12th chapter of Luke, uh, who makes a kind of social justice redistribute the wealth request of him. He says, Master, speak to my brother that he divideth the inheritance with me. In other words, hey, I think I should get a, a bigger share. Why don't you use your power and get it for me and redistribute the wealth more equally? And Jesus immediately responds by rebuking the man. He says to him, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Which is something you'll never hear a socialist say because they're trying to be judges and dividers over the rest of us all the time. And then Jesus goes on to say, take heed and beware of covetousness. Mm -hmm. uh, he was mm -hmm. noting the fact as he does many times in the New Testament that coveting or envy, counting the other guy's blessings, mm -hmm. is, uh, is the, the road to economic and spiritual disaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then even one of the first, uh, one of the commandments is that thou, thou shalt not covet. Yeah, even. that's right. It's, <laughs> it's actually the, uh, the 10th commandment. I like to say, you know, Jesus uh, or, or God, in the case of uh, the 10 commandments, uh, God gave Moses those commandments, and number eight was thou shalt not steal. There's a period after that. It doesn't say, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say thou shalt not steal unless you really think you could spend it better than the guy who earned it. Uh, and then I'd like to think that when God came to the 10th one, he said, you know, uh, some of these humans aren't going to get it. And uh, so I better add number 10 because it's often a motivation for stealing, and that was thou shalt not covet. So the Bible is pretty clear that private property is uh, sacrosanct, and you mm -hmm. don't claim it just because you want it. There is such a thing as the other guy's stuff, and you don't seize it. That's uh, stealing. And I think I think the deeper question here also is, you know, the only reason a lot of people, like the Democratic Socialists of America and other kind of agitating organizations, the only reason they're even using Christ's example as a sort of mechanism, a cataclyst to push their desires, is because they are conflating, as I mentioned earlier, capitalism with greed and, and avarice and other kind of ills, and socialism with the opposite of that. So the deeper question I'm going to ask you, and you as, an, uh, you as a, an academic and a person of history, I'm sure can answer this. Where, where do you think, okay, what was the first instance in your personal research where you saw Christ referenced to as a socialist, number one? And a deeper question, where do you think along the line, what time period, what event triggered the idea that capitalism itself is a mechanism of greed and not of actually um, voluntary, uh, voluntarily producing value for other people? Okay. And I, uh, the first question was... Uh... I had it in my head here. So the first question was, along, along your study, uh, when was the first instance you saw Christ deemed a socialist? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, in my case, I think I heard it when I was a teenager. And uh, I remember at the time, it, it bothered me for a long time. I ended up writing an essay for a class uh, in college on this very subject. And so it's been percolating in my mind for a long time. But that would be... Uh, what, 50 years ago when I first heard it in one form or another. Wow. At, at that young age, in my mid-teen years, I was only then coming alive with, uh, in terms of reading and learning about ideas of freedom and free markets. And um, I was also a, a budding Christian at that time, and I couldn't put these two things together. I thought, wait a minute, everywhere I look around the world, the countries that are socialistic uh, are poor, uh, foreign aid is always going in their direction, not the other way. Uh, and they are also repressed. People don't have, in fact, the more socialist the country is, the more repressed the people are and the more they want to get out. And I thought, I can't believe that Jesus, a man of peace, man of love, 
would be advocating that we concentrate political power in the hands of politicians and create the kind of endlessly uh, failed outcomes that socialism produces. So, but it just mm -hmm. took a little time for all that to gel in my mind until I finally wrote a book about it. Yeah, two and two came together. And yeah, so, that, you know, this idea about capitalism being equated with greed, what, when did this, this, many folks point to the Gilded Era, which is, I think is yeah. a terribly misunderstood era. I think it was actually a very good time of a lot of value being produced, a lot of industry being produced. But many folks point to, or towards the Gilded Era as the time when, cap, when the, the true head, the true, true colors of capitalism, like the, the Hydra head, the dragon of capitalism was revealed or whatever. I don't know. What do you think yeah. about all that? Well, uh, you know, by capitalism, of course, we mean uh, economic freedom. We mean right. the ability to start a business, to own property, to accumulate more, to serve customers, right. to respond to the price system, to suffer the slings and arrows of uh, failure from time to time, as well as reap the rewards of occasional success. Um, the hostility to that is really ancient. Uh, the first time somebody clubbed another person because he thought uh, he had more than you know, the, the other guy had more than the first guy had. Uh, that was kind of an anti-capitalist uh, gesture. Uh, and even in the Old Testament, you have uh, many uh, prohibitions against envy. Uh, in Proverbs, there's a particularly good uh, passage that says, uh, envy rots the bones. Mm. Well, uh, the context is usually a system where somebody has earned more. Now, sometimes they may have more because of political connections or deceit or fraud or force. And certainly as a capitalist, I'm very opposed to all of those instances, but uh, there's still a lot of envy focused even on people who earn an honest living as uh, creative entrepreneurs. That goes way back. Uh, I think it's part of the uh, angelic conflict, you might say. It's, a, it's an evil seed that gets planted in us by, uh, um, uh, by Satan, I think, to, because he knows that envy is more powerful in undermining a, a civilization than perhaps any other motivation. Uh, it leads to power grabs, it leads to coercion and uh, the punishment of the successful and the destruction of economies. Uh, so it's really old, but it was certainly magnified in the mid-19th century with the coming of Karl Marx, mm -hmm. who created an entire uh, way of thinking that mm -hmm. uh, uh, was murderous in its predicted outcome and, uh, and uh, anti-human nature from the word go. And then Marx was just dripping with hatred for uh, productive people. He was anti-Semitic and he hated the Jews because he saw many of them actually uh, more prosperous than he was. Um, so he really gathered steam with, with Karl Marx and ever since. Absolutely. And so this is a, sort of like a genealogical line going all the way back to ancient times, pre, even like pre-modern civilization, that can, we can really can see where this hate, where this seed of hate for capitalism emerged. And yeah. this idea that Jesus the Socialist is simply a modern variation of that seed. It's probably yeah, so. Capitalism uh, you know, doesn't have anybody at the top who's in charge of everything. So right. if you're the kind of person who loves power, uh, you're not going to like a system that doesn't reward you for power. It rewards you for your service to others, for your service to the consumer. If you're the type of person who just wants to sit back and whine and complain mm. and demand what others have produced, you're not going to like capitalism because it doesn't empower you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your, your complacency is what would be empowering you in that moment. That's oh, right. Well, actually, regressing you, but you think it's empowering you. The mind is very powerful. You know, I, yeah. I, even, I even think there's a verse in the Bible that talks about how thoughts need to be centered around some higher order virtue. 
things of that sort. And so I, I think that a lot of people who think Christ was a socialist would pay heed to the actual text of the Bible if they want to actually grow and understand these things. Just look at the parables that he told. Of nearly 40, there are at least three that have very powerful economic content, mm. and they're all anti-socialist. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Their implications, absolutely. I'm sure explicitly as well. Um, and so in the process of writing this book, what were, what were the, uh, the few things that were on your mind? And did you have any, not fear, but any sort of hesitance, adversiveness, because you figured that some people would be a little bit uh, perhaps upset about this topic? Because it is a very sensitive topic. You are talking about a being who is near and dear to a lot of people. And whenever you even, whenever anyone addresses or studies Christ, even theologians, you could get a lot of barbs from a lot of people. So have you experienced that? And before all that even came into fruition or it came into mind, what were the themes? What were the, 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 the few things you were looking at when you were writing the book? Yeah. Oh, I never gave much thought at all to uh, <laughs> what the reaction might be. I never have. I mean, I've endured uh, attacks uh, over 50 years for things I've uh, written, uh, and uh, it doesn't bother me. In fact, if if you never get attacked, if nobody ever takes the time to say, hey, I think you're wrong, and here's why, even if they're wrong, if that never happens, well, then you have to wonder, are you really speaking the truth? Right. Are you, uh, or are you just being a mealy-mouthed and uh, not willing to speak truth to power? So that didn't right. bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. But uh, some people may be upset. Uh, my first uh, and principal standard is, well, what is truth? As yeah. I understand it. Uh, and that's what I want to present to people. I don't care whether uh, uh, people on the other side don't like it or not. Well. Bring it on. <laughs> you know, uh, Emerson said in the first few lines of self-reliance, there is nothing that is more, uh, there, there is nothing more important than the sanctity of one's own mind, one's own conscience. Yeah. I'm, par I'm paraphrasing highly, <laughs> but uh, yeah. you reflect that ethic very powerfully in this book and in your pursuits for the truth. And I really appreciate that, really. Well, thank you. I don't know if I could sleep at night if I thought I believed in something, but I was afraid to say so. Uh, <laughs> not in my nature. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think a lot, and I wish, I wish, I wish most of academia was in that camp. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of academia, particularly people, academia that's a little bit more progressive, do you get the sense that they believe that Christ was a socialist or had socialist themes to his uh, ideas? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of that in academia to the extent that they deal with uh, uh, Christ and Christianity mm -hmm. at all. Uh, there's a, a great deal of hostility. I think uh, academia as, as a whole has now become so uh, intellectually uh, rotten. The source of so much of this uh, politically correct uh, cancel culture nonsense. Absolutely. Uh, totalitarian uh, at its core. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like the Khmer Rouge are uh, now teaching uh, uh, in the class. <laughs> The Khmer as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I've, even though I started my career in academia, I think today it's the primary source of our problems. And uh, I wish I was in a position where I could say, okay, you're fired because you're not committed to the truth. <laughs> you're indoctrinating young people with lies. And uh, if I had that uh, power because I say owned a university, uh, I wouldn't hire those people in the first place. But uh, if I found them there, I would say you either get yourself committed to the truth and diversity of opinion or get out. 
Absolutely. And I wish there was a focus more on the truth, not a truth, not my truth, not his truth, not her truth. And in fact, he wrote an article one time that said, if I hear someone say my truth, I'm going to scream. <laughs> and that kind of subjectivity is what produces notions like this. Because again, yeah. it, seems pretty, it seems pretty intuitive to me if you read the Bible, that Christ is not talking anything of any, any socialistic thing. He's not espousing any sort of, any sort of gospel, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the apostles, the gospel of himself. So he's not really espousing anything else. But subjectivity and relativism and my truth and this is how I interact with the text and the text doesn't actually matter in reality. All this sort of gobbledygook that does not yeah. inspire to improve you is, is destroying our ability to comprehend text, basic comprehension. Oh, you said it so well, uh, Christian. You <laughs> try to say it better. Uh, no, I, that's uh, this uh, moral relativism that really began to take hold, uh, I think, as far back as 100 years ago in mm. certain parts of academia that now is so rampant is uh, part of the problem here. If you don't think that truth is absolute, that there is the truth, then you run around saying, oh, well, truth is uh, subjective. It's whatever you think it is. Uh, and which may change from one moment to another. Can you imagine <laughs> living, in, living in a world where there, there are, there's nothing that's ordered, nothing that uh, is uh, in any way uh, following on from well, certain logical uh, progression of thinking? You know, just yeah. look at Seattle over the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, chaos. And uh, well, we don't like this guy, so let's get rid of him. And that's, that's the essence of totalitarian thinking that, and sooner or later, the strong man is the one who says, aha, my truth is the most important one, and I will use my power uh, to make sure you toe the line. Right. That's what Mao Zedong did. I mean, political power comes out of the barrel of a gun. That's what he said. That's what Hitler did. I mean, that's what all these people have done, all these tyrants that have eventually killed people and just in mass droves. That's what they did. They enforced their truth over the dominant as a dominant narrative. So my question for you, though, I'm, I'm going to make this a little bit more personal to you and uh, individual. You're a Christian, right? Yes. And so as a Christian, and I'm a Christian as well, as a Christian, what does this topic mean to you? I haven't, I don't think, have you been asked that before? Yeah, uh, okay. it's so many words. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it comes in the form of uh, what made you want to write on this particular subject? It's essentially the same, same question. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, for, for so many decades, as I heard one version of this, Jesus was a socialist myth after another, it just troubled me uh, to no end. And I thought, I've really got to come to grips with this because if I proclaim Jesus as my savior and, uh, and me to be a follower of him, I got to understand what his message was fully, not just the salvation message, but anything else he had to say about how we should live, how we should treat each other. So that's when I decided a few years ago to really delve into this uh, in, in a major way and look at the Bible, the New Testament in particular, not only uh, as a Christian, but also as an economist and historian. Uh, I wanted to uh, come at it from those angles. And uh, uh, that's when it became apparent to me that if you think Jesus was a socialist, uh, then I, I think you're not reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so apparent. I mean, the parable of the talents, if I could just quickly recite one. Yeah. Uh, Pro-capitalist. Pro uh, Jesus tells the story of a man leaving his estate for a period of time, and he trusts three different people with different amounts of his wealth. Mm. And he says, when I come back, I'll check with you to see what you've done with it. And he comes back, and the first man says, oh, you'll be happy with me. I have just the amount that you uh, trusted me with. I buried it in the backyard. Well, Jesus uh, rebukes the man. 
essentially saying, what, you didn't do anything with it? How dare you? And then he goes, the second man, what'd you do with what I entrusted you with? And the man said, oh, I doubled it. Mm-hmm. And he gets praised. And then the third man, he says, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, of course. Uh, but he says, I magnified it by a factor of four or five. And he's the one that Jesus offers the greatest praise to, even to the extent of saying, we're going to take what we gave the first guy and give it to the third guy because he knows how to magnify wealth. Um, and then in the parable of the workers in the vineyard, you have uh, uh, Jesus uh, through the, uh, uh, the man who's central to the story, a vineyard owner, uh, actually telling workers, hey, didn't I pay you what I promised? Quit complaining. I gave you, you signed a contract. I gave you what I promised. Now get out of here. Uh, it's my money. Uh, you know, things like that, that are, you'd never hear from the mouth of a socialist. But uh, those are the, uh, what, the stories that Jesus told, and they are powerfully supportive of things like voluntary contract, keeping your mm. word free exchange, private mm. property, and uh, even supply and demand. Absolutely. Wow. Well, and, and that's just a simple reading of one of the parables. Yeah. That, 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 all that content from one of the parables. So if you actually look at the holistic uh, truth that Christ espoused and, and John and all the other, all the books of the Bible, I mean, you, you can write a book like you did. <laughs> uh, I even heard many times I've heard people say, what about the Good Samaritan? Doesn't that make the case for a welfare state? Because the Good Samaritan mm-hmm. helped and, and I have to point out to people, read it. What does the Samaritan do? Does he say to the man along the road who's been beaten and robbed, does he say, oh, well, you need to call your social worker? Or, or maybe there's a program from the government <laughs> later? No. Uh, the reason we call him a Good Samaritan is that he chose to help the man of his own free will and through his own resources. Mm-hmm. And if he had done any of those other socialistic things, you know, hey, depend on the government, see you later, um, we would think of him today as the good-for-nothing Samaritan. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me ask another question. This will be like my, ne- my next to last question because we're, we're, we're running on time. But uh, let me ask another question. Uh, a lot of folks – well, actually, it's going to be a two-part question. Okay. So one, do you think socialism can exist ne- – can necessarily exist – in ways in which the government does not utilize it, like if a socialist system exists, yeah. and can they can they can they espouse their principles and enact their principles without the help of the government? In part, I mean, you need it for a lot of it, but in part, can they? And number two, if that is the case, is it possible that an argument could be made? And I don't agree with this. I'm just playing devil's advocate. An argument could be made that perhaps while Christ did not advocate government intervention, he didn't advocate government coercion or anything, he may have advocated a socialistic mindset that is motivating people to do certain things. What do you think of those two two questions? Well, you know, there is a version of socialism that um, uh, what you've just asked sort of conjures up because some socialists say, oh, well, you know, we're not the heavy handed uh, top down uh, mandated stuff uh, with the iron fist, you know, the totalitarian regimes. What we're talking about is uh, workers getting together, owning the means of production, dividing things up equally amongst them, and so forth. Okay, well, let's, if that's your version of socialism, I would say under capitalism, you can do that. Uh, you can, right. 
but it has to be voluntary and consensual. Right. There's nothing that would, why don't socialists do that today? Why don't they uh, go door to door in their neighborhood and convince their neighbors, hey, let's all, let's all work for the common good and whatever we earn, let's put it in a common storehouse and then we'll divide it up equally amongst us. They could do that now. Uh, capitalism doesn't say you can't, it, it, it welcomes such diversity. Right. It's really telling that under socialism, you know, you can't practice capitalism. No, you cannot. Uh, but under capitalism, you can practice that kind of socialism. But, and there have been many attempts over time to do that. The Robert, Robert Owen communities, uh, the, even the early pilgrims at Plymouth Colony. Right, the communes, all the communes. Yeah, always falls apart. Always falls apart. <laughs> Some people start saying, wait a minute, you mean I get the same amount even though I work twice as hard as the other guy? And why, how come all these people are sitting at home while I'm working in the fields? Right. And, it's the inversion of fairness. Yeah, it always falls apart. So I think that's kind of a meaningless, fanciful, childish view of socialism. Uh, real socialism involves the use of force. Uh, socialists don't want to accomplish their objectives through voluntary means. They want the government to force it on people. That's what makes socialism socialism. Wow, absolutely. And the second part, Christ so-called espousing a socialistic mindset as opposed, yeah, what do you think about that idea? Well, I know people say, well, but he encouraged people to care for others. And so doesn't that sound socialistic? Well, <laughs> really? Yeah, people said it to you. It's ridiculous as if oh, no. more caring for people under capitalism than there is under socialism. Uh, Jesus wants you to be charitable and wants you to be uh, helpful to others and be good to your family and to your friends and so forth. But he never said that the way to get those things done is to hand the, your responsibility over to the government. He was interested in what was in your heart. And it isn't enough to say, oh, but I voted for the right politicians. I voted for the socialists who promised free stuff. That makes me a good person. No, Jesus would say, no, it doesn't. You're just absolving yourself of any responsibilities and assigning them to the government so you can go on your merry way. Uh, no, there's nothing about his teaching, his ethics, uh, that uh, was socialistic in any way. That's a, that's a farce. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Reed, you're coming up on time. I really appreciate it. I, I, your book is amazing. The video is amazing. Everything you've done on this topic, I think, is phenomenal. And I really, really hope that you keep, uh, that, they, they, that you keep producing this good stuff and that you keep um, not speaking truth to power, but simply speaking the truth. <laughs> uh, not, not speaking truth to power. That's, a, that's, an, that's almost, I think, it's a, I think that's a sort of a, a dilution of what actual truth is. You're speaking the truth. And when you speak the truth, no power can, come, uh, can overcome you. Thank so you. I want to pay a compliment in your direction, because as I've told you, I think you're a future star and I need to make sure I get your autograph before I afford <laughs> it anymore. So you keep up the good work, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so just tell people where they can get the, the book at. And uh, and one last question. COVID, how is it? How is it affecting you? Will you think you'll be back on speaking tours again? Like what, what do you think is yeah. going on with that? Well, the book uh, is titled Was Jesus a Socialist? And you can get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, from FEE, uh, FEE.org. Uh, it's not too hard to find. Uh, make sure you look up that title, Was Jesus a Socialist? Because a slightly different title was uh, for an essay, short, much shorter essay I did some years ago. Um, and now, as far as COVID is concerned, yeah, it's really affected my speaking schedule. I do a lot of public speaking. and. The last time I did any public speaking was uh, right before I got home from Australia and Indonesia on March 17. Mm. 
uh, and all the speeches I've had on the calendar since and several more into the fall, in fact, uh, have had to be canceled. So, uh, so I, I'm hoping for that to turn around, but I, I've also become quite proficient at Zoom. Um, <laughs> so have I, so have I. It used yeah. to be Skype, now it's Zoom. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the, the current trend. So I'll continue to do it because I enjoy it, but I do hope the in-person events uh, come back on the calendar soon. So do I. All right, Mr. Reed. All right, viewers, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here, sir. And as I always say before I end the show, please stay pensive.